everybody to another episode of the snap no tap podcast uh tony Cicchini here along with the you know who uh the great beyond great the 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 ultimate uh joe cardinal and it got me to thinking i mean birds are named after you priests are named after you shit baseball teams are named after you i mean are there is there any limits to your greatness or i mean or is this i mean does it keep going and going you know it is it's hard not to let that go to your head you know but it's important for me it's always a daily routine to try and stay humble realize it's not just about me that you know maybe these things are named for other reasons you know i just try to have that fantasy in my head that it's not all about me and centered and you know obviously interacting with you helps keep me hum- humble you know the font of wisdom that you are and the great entertainer that you are the center, really the spiritual center of this podcast, Tony Cicchini. Oh, I'm like the sun. Yeah. Um, well, one thing I've learned, cardinal rule, is that we cannot go on unless we, you know, tell the truth about you. I mean, it, you know, it's like, listen, I know that you've done this on your own for your whole life, but isn't it better when somebody like myself exposes you instead of you walking around exposing yourself? Think there's definitely it. a lot there's definitely a lot less liability yes and i appreciate that and 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 to your point there's also cardinal sins yeah well we don't have enough time for that but speaking of time i received a great email from a great guy william william d and i promised him that i was going to address his question on the email today tonight on on the podcast that was before I real I was informed that we had a special guest. So I mentioned this to Joe William. I'm not going to let you hang. I'm going to touch on it just briefly. But next week's podcast, the whole damn podcast, is going to be um, based on your email. And um, I'll read the email next week. But in essence, basically what it's about is, you know, the adrenaline and dealing with real world situations and altering or setting up your training um, to handle that. And frankly, the way the martial arts schools are set up, they're not set up for that at all, period. It's just not um, because the schools are set up as a business. Um, And we're gonna get into that, uh, William and everybody else. Uh, As most of you who know me know, I I was lucky. I, I never was taught in a martial arts school and my whole life before, during, and after was all based on streets awareness, street self-defense. Um, but I do want to address the psychological issues. I will say this. Um, a few years ago, 
we had Scott, well, a few months ago, we had Scott Gave on the, on the podcast. We've had Jason Bender on the podcast several times. Well, they're both sensational martial artists, athletes. I've trained both of those guys. Okay. They had a match against each other three, four years ago, whatever it was before the pandemic that I was at. And, you know, it's a weird scenario for me because I've trained both of these guys. But let me just say this to William and all those others that are, you know, really all about self-defense. Your training cannot ever be for one split second uh, about hanging out and having drinks or beers with your quote-unquote opponent afterwards, okay? Now, Scott and Jason didn't necessarily have beers, but the point is they hugged, they shook hands, they they love each other. No, your your training has to be for people that you really um, have to get into your head that I'm, I may have to kill this person. I mean, literally, not exaggerating, not, not hyperbole, I have to kill, okay? So you got to train, you got... Everything that you're doing now has to be abandoned completely. And you got to focus on killing, being able to do that, okay? And nothing else. If you're having fun and games, you're in the wrong place. If you're learning all about sportsmanship, you're definitely in the wrong place, okay? For for this type of training that um, William is asking about. You're definitely in the right place if you're looking for sport or you're looking for a hobby or something. So anyway... We're going to get into that. We're going to spend the whole do- the whole dog on podcast next week because it's an important issue. And <clears throat> the martial arts world, in my opinion, has reached a critical stage. And it's been there for a while, but it's critical because there is no more martial. Okay, there's very few martial things going on here. It's sport, and it, once again, nothing wrong with that. Let's label it what it is. It's a sporting gym. Um, but yeah, we'll get into that next week. But we're going to have a return guest that nobody's seen before because of technical <laughs> difficulties. I'm going to let Joe take it away. Uh, Joe Cardinal, have it. Well, welcome Jesse Cooler to the show. I, I'm going to have a hard time not just saying welcome back because we had a conversation before. It's going to be famous or infamous lost episodes. Uh, but we're hey, say welcome to- back Cooler, kind of like welcome back Cotter. Remember that? It's show? true. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. That show had one of the best theme songs of all time, by the way. John Sebastian. It. Yep. Yeah. Great tune. Um, also. So, yeah, Jesse, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming. Well, it's good to be here. It's very good to be here. Hang on one second here. Keep it down, guys. I'm recording. So, we're actually at the gym today. Um, so, yeah, let's talk about the gym. So, you are a, one of the head instructors at uh, Forteza Martial Arts and Fitness. Yep. Um, we've had, uh, actually Greg Millay, who is one of the founders of Forteza. He was on episode, I'm going to plug our episode 102. If you want to go back and, and listen to that, a great episode where he explains things, but I'll, just for people just, you know, if maybe missed that episode, can you first, uh, describe the school and describe the style and the things that they teach there? Uh, yeah, I'll give you the, the, the quickie version here. So we're, we're doing, um, historical European martial arts. We're an Italian shop, so we're doing reconstructed martial arts from the old days, from six, seven hundred years ago in Europe. And most of it's sword fighting. Um, 
you know, I got people sword fighting down. It's Friday night, so it's sparring night. So I got about 15 people downstairs who are off to hit each other with crowbars. Because we use steel swords. They're two-handed swords, one-handed swords. You wear a little bit of padding, a little bit of protective gear, and you go to town. Um, it's not gentle. Um, it doesn't hurt any less than boxing used to hurt, certainly. There's, you know, bumps, bruises, the occasional crack bone. And it does have a, uh, a grappling element because our school teaches that wrestling is the fundamental of all martial arts out, coming out of Europe. So whether you're doing boxing or knife fighting or sword fighting, it doesn't matter. It all comes from the same cultural root. That's where all the footwork comes from. Um, I've been with the club since 99. I met Greg when I was a teenager. I was about 19 years old. And a buddy of mine had said, Do, I, I've been doing other strip mall martial arts, taekwondo stuff like that, and he's like, "Dude, you gotta, you gotta meet this guy. You're gonna be, you're gonna love it." So I hopped a bus. I came up to Chicago, and uh, I remember the day very clearly because Greg went, "Oh God damn, another teenager," and proceeded to to beat the snot out of me. But I kept coming back, and after a while, I was like, "Well, I guess I gotta teach you. <laughs> I can't get rid of you, so I guess I gotta teach you," and it formed a partnership that's lasted through till now. And it's uh, it's been a fun ride, taking me all over the world, um, from here to Europe and back a few times. I've taught in, I fought in tournaments in Belarus. I fought, I've taught in England a few times. And uh, it's been good times. That's awesome. And a lot of people, I think it's starting to get attention now, but that there is uh, European martial arts. I mean, obviously everybody thinks of current skill sets like modern wrestling, modern boxing, maybe they've heard of savat or Olympic fencing, but they don't realize that there is, you know, there is people now uh, investigating. And this is kind of a worldwide community kind of exploring and trying to, to, uh, uh, I should say, redevelop. I don't know what the right term is, because really re resurrect these skills that were, you know, on the verge of being lost forever. We're doing our best, but resurrection is a very generous way to look at it. Um, I would say redevelop and keep the spirit alive as best we can because we don't know what they were doing. We, we, they, these guys wrote books 600 years ago. They drew some pictures and try to describe those pictures with their words. But at the end of the day, there's no lineage that connects, connects back. There's not a guy who learned from a guy who learned from a guy. The closest thing we've really got is like, um, Biddle's Cold Steel, because Colonel Biddle, who taught the Marines during World War II, he claimed to have learned a lot of his knife fighting when he was a young man from some guy he met at a gym. Because in the old days, the 1920s, 1800s, you go to a gym in that era, and it was just like, well, you might lift some weights, you might go for a run, you might go on the jungle gym, you might just randomly pick up a sword and fence some bro, or just... Hey, dude, you look like a wrestler. You want to wrestle, man? And they had mats in the corner, and you just go do it. It was a different culture. It was a very engaged culture. And so that's where he learned it, and, he's, and he supposedly learned it from some guy who taught it in Louisiana back in the 1800s. But the traditions, traditions belong to every generation brand new, right? So, like, what I've learned from wrestling over the years, I've reassembled from – what I learned here, what I've put together from old books, what I've learned from 
a little bit from Greco-Roman wrestlers, what I've learned from guys who used to do judo, and built something in the style of what used to exist. And I think it is pretty close. And I think I've got a product that that holds up and can, like, I don't know if I keep up with Tony, but I'm not an easy guy to put into the ground. I'm not an easy guy to put a lock on. And uh, am I the best? Hell no. But am I pretty good? Eh. I'm willing to put myself out there and let you let you find out. So what are the styles called? What are what's the actual terminology? So the Italian material, there the word for martial arts is is um armizzare, which just means the use of weapons, the skill of using weapons, and there's abrazzare, the art of embracing, which is what they call wrestling. And the Italian boxing traditions are kind of a subcategory of abrazzare. And uh, there are some Italian boxing traditions, but they were they were considered pretty low class in the medieval times and the Renaissance, because you you get your face all tore up all the time. Like getting yourself ugly for money is something that poor people do. So the a lot of not many books were written about it, but there are references to it and anecdotal material and some folk boxing that survives coming out of Italy, oddly through like the crime families. So they preserved their fighting systems. They had their own training methods for their people. And there's a couple guys going around right now talking to these 70, 80 year old dudes who were part of the crime families in Italy back in the forties and fifties and asking them what they were taught as young men and trying to taking video of it and recording it and asking these guys about their experiences that's the closest thing to a living tradition we've got. And that's all knife fighting and boxing for the most part. And it's dirty. It is dirty as hell. So when we're talking weapons, just to give people kind of a, a picture of like the era of weapons. So the, obviously the most common one is, uh, is probably people know is the long sword, right? That's like a two-handed sword that you'd see a knight maybe use. Um, got a visual display here for those watching on YouTube. Look yeah, we got one right here just sitting next to me on the pillar. So this one's about four feet long. It's a hand and a half. Usually got another inch or so a handle from this era, but you know, they're a they're a they're a sword. And we a small subset of my school actually gets the armor out and we wrestle and sword fight in armor with the idea of getting past the armor. Uh, wrestling in 80 pounds of armor sucks. You have no body feel. You know, you can't feel the other guy's body against your body because the armor's in the way. And, like, it's all smooth metal. So, like, when your core, when your body to body just slides around and then your elbows get stuck in the hinges of their elbows, and it's really weird. So that's kind of his whole own thing. Yeah, I knew somebody. I had a friend of mine that actually got half, of his foot completely sliced off, completely amputated from a knife, uh, from a sword like that. I was actually with my girlfriend at the time when I introduced her to him. And she asked me straight out, why does, why does, because he was walking funny. He was limping like that. She says, why, why is he limping like that? I says, well, because he's got a foot and a half. And uh, she ended up breaking up with me and going out with him. <laughs> <laughs> I 
mean, you know, yeah. you know how many well, how shit many, happens. You know. And and romance is it's a series of misinterpretations, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but one thing people won't appreciate, in full disclosure, so I've you know I've trained at Forteza, and that's why I'm really excited to have so many instructors here. Uh, you know, at first, my impression, obviously, you know, I kind of from the outside coming in and coming from. Uh, you know, uh, more, I would say, kind of like a uh, fight sport background, kickboxing, grappling, what have you. Uh, although I did have some weapons through Thai martial arts. Uh, but looking at it, you know, my well, before looking at it and before getting involved in it, my assumption was, well, this is kind of like, uh, you know, the SCA cosplay, guys playing with swords, you know. And, you know, that was kind of what my thought was What's SCA you said SCA what is that what is that well that's the society for creative anachronism basically it's guys who go and they go out and they play like they're they, they dress up and they have like a uh, big fests like they're in medieval times it's you know oh. it's kind of like a world or not world well you have world war ii recreationist or uh yeah it's, it's like re- that. recreationist people they have a hobby whatever they they you know they're into the uniform. revolutionary war thing exactly Civil war big, enactments. Okay. yeah so all that kind of stuff right. um, and so i didn't realize no this is this is something that's researched and and, and practical. And, and for me, what was very interesting, and I don't know if you'd agree with this, Jesse, but like, so, you know, I, the first thought, if you're self-defense minded is, you know, I don't know if I'm going to get in a long sword fight in the near future. You know, if I get into a long sword fight in the street, that's going to be a weird path to get there. Like, so I've made some very weird choices in my life, but I'll say this, knowing how to use a two-handed lever, you know, how to, uh, so the term fencing always, I think, for most people, especially when they think in terms of Western, is always either fencing, like sword fighting, true sword they fighting. They think about car antennas, yeah. Right. But um, for me, when we, some of the moves we were doing and some of the – it really felt like, oh, this very well could be a crowbar or a baseball bat in my hands. You know, Absolutely. I mean, any, a stick is a stick at the end of the day. And creating kinetic energy to wallop somebody is important if you're – the root of, especially on the Italian side of the mountains, because uh, most of the books that have survived are either in German language or Italian language. There's a couple in English, but they're essentially useless because the the specific terminology of that fencing lineage is dead, and there's no Rosetta Stone, so we don't know what a hawk is. We don't know what a rounder is. We don't know what that means. So we can read the words, but like, what is that cut? What is that punch? We don't know because like he says, give them two rabbits and a rounder. We're like, what? That, that language died away in the 1400s or 1500s and was replaced uh, with French. So anyway, um, when we get into like how to give somebody a good hit is how to give somebody a good hit. And if you're going to, we talk about hammer fists and punches in our wrestling program because you know, Fiore, our oldest book, he talks about wrestling. He's like, yeah, 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 you learned how to wrestle when you were a kid. I'm not showing you that. This is for what you do in a war when somebody's trying to murder you. This is what you do when you're the local tax man and the peasant gets mad, doesn't want to pay his taxes and jumps you in the restaurant. He's talking about, like, like self-defense situations and, and life-threatening wrestling. So he's talking about, like, putting that fist to the guy hard and cruelly and he says do it do it in this way to cause the most damage and pain if you're going to hit a guy it has to cause damage and pain and put fear into him after you've done it 
if you're and he's if you're gonna grab a guy, is to get a true advantage in that moment. And if you don't know how to do that, don't grab the guy. Because if he knows anything, he's gonna do it to you better than you're doing it to him. And talks about those kind of issues in his in his book. But throwing that nice punch, right? Getting a good hit, getting a good hit. It's the same with the sword. It's the same hip mechanics, same shoulder mechanics. If I want to put a guy in like a front throw, it's the same shoulder mechanics, same hip mechanic. It's the same footwork. So like if you're learning sword fighter from us, you're also learning how to do a hip throw. You're also learning how to do a good like figure four lock. You're also learning how to throw a good punch because it's the same method of generating wallop, of generating a hard, fast hit. What I also appreciate too is what's kind of interesting is, is you know, take away whatever the weapon is. It, it could be anything, knife, yeah. sword, whatever. There is kind of an analysis of, and I think like a lot of people were familiar with like reading, I think Bruce Lee tapped into this. He, he I think he began to realize that fencing had a way of organizing and looking at fighting. Um, you know, concepts like uh, regaining initiative. You know, that that has nothing to do with a specific sword technique, but it is no. something if you've lost initiative in a fight, you need to figure out how to regain it. It's one thing. So there's kind of these higher concepts or uh, timing and measure. Um, these things are universal to fighting. They are. They really are. And I, I like the language that we use to talk about them. I think it's a very developed language that lets you once you kind of learn how we talk about it it's very easy to put to put training into context when we're when we're when we're training on the floor and doing different things the way i talk about wrestling is exactly the same way i talk about sword fighting is exactly the same way i talk about boxing and in my mind those those ideas are very closely linked together i don't think of them as different things um so when we're getting in there like if when you you need to teach somebody else, you need to be able to address at least to a certain degree to talk about timing. If you have no words to describe it, it can be hard to show a guy how to do it. And that's the one thing our school is particularly good at is we've we're able to articulate how we get things done and we can show you this is how I did that thing. Um, now you know what Tony was talking about earlier of, of keeping things real. Um, there comes a point when you just got to get down and dirty and do it. And one of the reasons I like our school is we, we've kept wrestling as part of our sword fighting. So if, if you get too close, we don't hug and reset. We get too close. I'm going to put your ass in the dirt. I'm going to put you in a hip throw. I'm going to put you in a figure four and wait and wait. And we, we tap here like you do in jujitsu because you need a training tool. So you don't jack your partners up all the time. But, and there's certain holds we don't allow in class because you can't tap fast enough to get out of it before it hurts you. Um, and I don't say that to brag. It's just you get somebody bent the right way. If you push past that, it's going to go, right? Like there's yeah, a certain we, point. We call a hook, you know, and catch. You're like you, if you throw it, it's like throwing a punch. If it lands, it's it's done. There's... And that's thus the name of the podcast, Snap No Tap. If, if, right. if you apply these in a certain way, there's not, I mean, in training, if you know you're heading into it, you can head it with a different pace and more control. 
but they are definitely designed for if you want to take it to 11, it, you right. Know, you just you know, do it. Right. You just do it. And that's uh, actually, we got to get Tony out here one of these days to like, to go through some catch with our guys. Cause I think it'd be really healthy for us. It's something I want to do. And I realized, I realized as we, when we lost that episode in between, I'm like, you know, easier than me going to Tony. What if I just got Tony to come here and got like 20 guys together and had a thing. And that yeah, a little seminar. Set it up. I'm in. Yeah, we'll talk. We're going to talk for sure. Because I talked to the boss about it too. And he's like, he is 100%. But that's the thing is you snap into, uh, you snap into any kind of, we call them ties, tie-ups. But a hold, a hook, whatever you want to call it, you snap into it like you're throwing a punch. If you don't, and if you don't want the other guy to get up when you're done, or if you want to win the fight, you just throw it and it doesn't stop. When the old man was writing his book 600 years ago, he talks about getting an underhook at the elbow and he's like, just break the guy's arm. He's like, if his arm's straight and he lets you get here, just try to break it. If the guy knows anything, he'll, he'll push forward. He'll push. So you can't break it. He'll move his elbow. And then he's like, if he goes in, here's how you put him in a hold. If he runs away, here's how you put him in a hold. But try to break his arm first and see what he does. And if you get it, hey, fight's over. Great, good job. And the threat will – we're big on using threats to get people to go to other places. So, like, I will attack an opponent. If they're lousy at it, I get them. If they're good at fighting, they'll, they'll do something about it. But that puts them in a box. Now they can only do one – one or two things about any problem that I cause. If I know what those, if I know they're easy solutions, I can attack into those solutions. And we are very much attack into the attack, into the attack, into the attack. Defense is for when you've screwed up and now you've got to like get your crap back together and get to a safe spot. But it's, you know, block the first one and then it's attack all the way down the rabbit hole until you win or until they stop you for good. Well, Tony talks about that as far as being no one move is you, you can't assume one move is the, the end. It's a means to an end. Um, right. And um, I, I think that that's one of the reasons that I really like, um, you know, I'm familiar with Tony's career to a certain degree and I'm familiar with his catch wrestling to a degree. And I'm always been a fan because of that mentality of like, just gonna, attack into an attack and as people try to defend you kind of know what defenses are going to come up or at least the ones that are quick the ones that are predictable and if they do something unpredictable it's probably slow and inefficient if they don't do the easy fix that means they're doing it the hard way and that's almost always slow or t- or telegraphed or too big doesn't leave them in a good spot to process the root of it all, even bo- you know, like with boxing or wrestling, my wrestling, my style, it really is all counterpunching to a degree, meaning that when you're out of your guard, your turtle shell, where technically you're the safest, once you start any kind of offense, um, you become vulnerable. You have to know this. That's why good boxers can counter a jab and slip and counter or whatever. Same with these moves. So, oh, yeah, yeah um, it, it's. And 
as a skilled fighter, you you want your opponent, you want to break them out of their shell. You want them to get give you some energy so you can, uh, you know, annihilate them. Yep, it's vital. It's vital, and I think that that mindset I think is 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 to any any true wrestling, any true fighting where you're thinking about because you might spend your whole life training, but if you're if you're training to fight, then you're thinking that way. And you know, you're, when you reach out to, to do anything to the other guy, you got to know where you're, where you're vulnerable in that moment. And that oh, knowledge absolutely. lets you counterpunch. And I see, man, the stuff I learned when I was a kid, it did not teach me good counterpunching. It just got me kicked a lot, got me punched a lot. Yeah, counter strikes are important. Yeah, I, yeah there, there's so much that can be taken from the sports world, like the competitive world, of course, but also oh, yeah. there's detriments uh, to that, uh, both psychologically and um, technically, because no matter what, the idea, be it boxing or some sort of a wrestling situation, you know, competitive wrestling, is to win the match, uh, either by dominance or by the rules, playing the rules to your favor, uh, running out the clock or whatever. We see this. We see this in, in football. We see this oh, yeah? in basketball, hockey, anything with a time limit. So my training was always, you have no time in the street. Okay. When you go to, a, when, when I was boxing, you have time limits. That's awesome. In the street, you got to look at it like it's got to be over now. You you just too many variables, um, right? You can't let it drag program. out. You cannot, and that's why I was always opposed to the original Brazilian jiu-jitsu philosophy of "oh, just take your time." You got all the time in the world. No, you don't. Uh, not in a real a, a real street fight challenge match when it's you and him in the middle of the you know of the the, the wheat field. Okay, go for it. Um, but in reality, no, you got to get this ASAP. Um, Let's do it. You know, that's, that's how it's always been. It is. I mean, that the, the, with the sword fighting material, we look at that from a dueling point of view and the old guys talk about like, Oh, you've agreed to show up to this duel. What are you going to do? Well, if, if everybody's got a sharp sword, if you actually step into that ring with that weapon, like it, you can't be unaware of your own mortality at that point. Right. Yeah. It creates a lot of psychological pressure and, the Italian system of fencing kind of takes takes that into account. It is a forward pressure style where it's like, get control of that guy's sword. Put him in a box where there's only one way out. Know what the hell that way out for him is. So that if I get control and he takes the one way out, that's the end of the fight. And if he just runs away a lot, I just stand in the middle. Be like, look, man, you're afraid of me. Great. You can leave this duel. Take your shame with you. It's fine. Yeah. I don't need to kill you for you to live in shame, man. Um, and that, a lot of duels ended that way. One guy would get dominant. And, well, the Italians also had a habit of like, okay, the duel is only going to last until the sun goes down. And you show up like six minutes before sunset <laughs> so that nobody has to get killed. Um, because otherwise someone's going to get killed. It's a sharp sword. There's no... If, you, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen, right? 
but it takes into that account. You're, you've got to get forward pressure. You've got to attack into the situation. You've got to attack into control and try to make the other guy predictable as much as you humanly can to avoid getting killed. And right now our kids are downstairs practicing for a tournament and that creates the same thing. You step into a 15 foot circle. If you don't control that circle, you're going to lose. And you know, people, people ramp up a little bit and says, we're playing with four foot crowbars. If, if everybody's nerves are hot, like you're going to get your hands broken if you don't play smart because the safety gear only takes you so far. It hurts to lose in this martial art. And that's, keeps us a little bit honest because it, it, it hurts to lose sometimes. You get a guy who's swinging for the fences, your, your safety gear ain't going to keep your bones whole. It was a tournament two weeks ago or one week ago up in Minnesota. They had, I don't know how many guys were fighting. I want to say it was about 60 guys were fighting total. They had three concussions, three broken hands, um, several cases of broken ribs. Like, that was a, that's a lot, but they were they were just amped up. They were going, and you know the guy who won didn't have a scratch on him because he took it serious, made sure he didn't get his ass kicked. The guys who went in all reckless, man, get hurt, and that's just a, t- a fun tournament. You're getting broken ribs. Oof. Well, that's the thing too with like a lever because you could put a like a. So I have sparred there and I've sparred just with nylon, which like imagine hard plastic, a solid plastic, uh, four foot and against a girl too. Um, and I think it was almost because she didn't appreciate how strong she would be with that lever and maybe because out of fear, you know, so there's kind of sometimes at least if you've played baseball or you've done things, the minute you have your hands on there, you kind of know how much power you can. Some people do. They can sense other people. Maybe if they're new to that kind of a thing, maybe can't sense the amount of power you can generate, how much that uh, in, uh, amplifies the power of the human body. Once you put a long lever in it. And one of the worst bruises I ever got was from that girl. She clipped my arm and she was, you know, swinging for the fences, so to speak. And I have a picture I should probably post it, but my arm was, you know, like worse than any, uh, you know, round kick I ever took from the, you know, uh, you can, like I said, you're, if you swing with your full body behind it, even like a nylon sword, and that's why it doesn't surprise me. I mean, like, yeah, that, oh yeah, God forbid your thumb takes that with like a metal sword or something like that. That thumb is gone. I mean, I've, I've broken sharp. every finger I own. I've broken every single finger I own doing this and a couple of wrestling as well, but um, like you're, you're vulnerable. And if you do this long enough, and if you go like in the old days, 20 years ago, when this was newer, like we used to have to go and people would be like, Hey man, I heard you do sword fighting. Why don't you come up to where I'm at and like, try me on. And you try it, you try people. Some of those guys were cool and you could play and they weren't going to on purpose mess you up. And some of those guys, they would on purpose mess you up. And you didn't know until you got there and you were in the, in the mix with them, which, which of those two things that guy was going to be. Cause I've had some real sweet talkers and then they're trying to freaking rip my eyes out. And I've had some guys who were just plain boring blue collar dudes who were like, nah, I don't trust anything I can't test, but they actually were very well mannered when we got down to a, a fencing because they they were just here to honestly test themselves and they didn't need to take it past 
past, you know, we have a, what's the word for it? If I said uncle, they said great. And that was it. And if there's some guys, they were here to, to show you why you sucked and they wanted to prove it on your body. So the old days, we had to be very careful. Nowadays, this is becoming more mainstream. So, and I think also like people in their 30s and 20s, like didn't grow up with bullies that like would kick their butts for the most part. Like, you know, I remember like, I think it was like, yeah, 1985 was like the first time somebody like really kicked my butt. I was like five and a half years old. And I went to the bus stop and there was an eighth grader and he wasn't having the kindergartners. The moms weren't around at the bus stop. They said, go to school, kid, you know? And you had to be careful because some of the older kids would, would knock you around. And you learned real fast, like which older kids were safe, which ones weren't, how not to get knocked around. And so I knew what a punch could do growing up. You know, I knew what a baseball bat did to somebody. It never happened to me too badly, but it happened to some kids. And you're like, ah, oh, okay, that, that's just bad things to people. I don't want any of that. But you meet a 20-year-old who's never swung a punch in his life, never wrestled, never gotten his butt kicked as a kid, picks up the four-foot crowbar, just like, oh, okay, gives you everything he's got. You're like, it's easy not to know your own strength if you've never tested it. And like Tony was saying earlier, there's there's sports and there's training for fighting and people tend to call both martial arts, um, but they're not necessarily the same thing. There's, there's martial arts and then there's martial arts and then there's, there's arts. Yeah. And they all get labeled similarly to the general public. And you get, it, it's easy not to know what you're buying. If you have, you know, especially if you've never done anything that before, you know, you're a kid and you're like, oh, you know, this strip mall Taekwondo school is just as good as doing MMA, right? Sure. You know, this MMA is just as good as training, you know, training catch with a guy who's actually had some fights and had to deal with some problems. And those are not the same thing. And the mindset of what you're training for too, like we talk about knife fighting around here. It's, it's really boring to watch, but you know, for those of us who've been around the block, you'll look at that and say, okay, that, that actually has a decent chance of holding up under, under problems. And then I'll see other guys doing like some fancy knife fighting stuff. And I'm like, was where one of my coaches was talking about a, uh, a martial art he didn't like, and he just looks, he's like, Roy, mate, that's about as tough as a paper condom. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if you, some people could tell the difference and some people can't. Yeah. And some some people are selling one as the other, other in my opinion, maliciously, like they know what they're selling and they don't care or they, or they've drank their own Kool-Aid and they, yep. They have no perspective. Well, you know, and it's the same in conditioning circles too, because you I mean, you may be very physically fit in, in one thing or one area. Let's say like powerlifting. Okay. Yeah. 
you're 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 the strongest man around. Um, now you go into something that's more cardio based, you're going to probably bomb out. You know, you're going to gas out. Yeah. It's it's just difference. You know, um, but you're right. I I have a, I've always had a problem with people who market themselves market themselves as something that they're that they're not. Um, like this is a deadly this or that. No, it it isn't. Um, it's very dishonest. Uh, yeah, it's de- and well, you know what? And if it's if and if it's all fun and games, that's fine. But when you're potentially um, when you can cost somebody their life, I mean, it's not good to lose a competition either. Your heart might no. get broken. But I'd rather your heart get broken than your skull or or you know some shit like that, and and that bothers me always has because um, you know I, I've known people who've lost their lives in the street. Uh, you don't want to ever see that happen. No, no, and I've had I've had some good coaches over the years, and uh, some people who've faced true adversity out there in the street and had to had to apply their their fighting skills to, to problematic situations. And it was very clear to me the difference in their perspective from some other people that I've been to seminars with and some other people where I've walked into their school, trained for a couple days and just left. Cause it's like, well, okay. And, you know, I've never, I've had to deal with some adversity. I've never had too big of a problems put in right in front of me but i've been knocked down more than once and i've knocked a few people down more than once and i could that gave me perspective to what i teach here when i'm teaching kids to wrestle i'm like hey you know this is a wrestling program we're gonna have some fun we're gonna learn how to do throws we're gonna learn some takedowns we're gonna learn some tie-ups and you know, if you guys want to come in and work really hard and like really go at it, we've got some times for that. And that'll be in the direction of self-defense. But like, if you guys want to come in and like put on a, a training knife and like go really hard and like really have us come at you, like that's a sometimes thing. And not everybody's here for that. Cause I, you know, I run, we had a martial arts school. We got, we got to pay the bills. We got to keep the lights on. So I can only find a handful of people who really want to train hard, who really want to sink those locks in deep, who really want to fall down a hundred times to get good at both throwing somebody, but also taking throw guys who want to make their body strong enough, keep their fitness high enough to actually soak up a punch and like take a few hits. There's not a lot of people like that anymore. So I can't keep the doors open if those are my only students. I've got a yeah, couple. I've been through that. I think. Well, I, you know, I'm yeah, I'm guilty about what I'm about to say, and uh, like I I always talk about street fights, and and that's because that's what I in my me growing up we all knew what a street fight was, okay? And right. it's different now. I mean, now there'll be two guys pushing each other chest to chest, like at a bar or something, and and I guess technically it's a street fight, but it's 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 safe it's nothing and that's like saying i practice medicine well just saying you practice medicine well what what medicine do you practice there's different stuff just like with street fighting and when i mention street fights i'm always talking that deadly shit deadly encounters okay what what, you're going to probably somebody's going to die because that's what i was exposed to um so i do know martial artists legit guys nice guys who've been in 
quote unquote street fights, I guess, but not serious. Like I just saw a video on uh, on the internet of a pro fighter that got into a quote unquote street fight. It wasn't. It was against. I mean, it was a guess, yeah, but it was some kid that knew nothing. Was not even a threat. Kid didn't even do anything, and he gets choked out. Yeah, technically it's a street fight, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking no. about where you know we're going to get into this next week on the podcast for William, if you're still listening, William. But yeah, there's layers of layers, as you should you know this, Jesse. Layers of what a street scenario to be. There are there are many layers, and yeah, you know when people when people come to me and ask me that question, like, will you teach me self defense? I'm like. I mean, I can teach you how to get out of mugging on the north side. <laughs> uh, but, like, you want to be like John Wick or some something like that. I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, this is a sword fighting school. We do knives and wrestling and punching. And some of it will hold up pretty well, and some of it is a bad idea. I can tell you which stuff you should not try to do if somebody's actually got a knife. Especially with, you know, little, like, you know, the medieval knife is like 14 inches long. These are giant pig stickers. It's a different fish than like a pocket knife or a kitchen knife that's only four or five inches long. Yeah. Very different fish. And, uh, you know, Knight in Shining Armor's got freaking heavy duty gloves on basically if he's in public at all times. Because, you know, 600 years ago, if you had money, you wore it on your body. You know, your clothes represented your quality and your station in life. Way more than even today. You see a guy nowadays walking down the street in Armani. You're like, why is that guy going, you know, probably, the, you know, the neighborhood I grew up in, like, was out in the sticks. You didn't go to church wearing Armani on Sunday, <laughs> you know. You put on your clean jeans and a sweater. And, you know, putting on airs was, you know, nowadays that means something else, right? But 600 years ago, no, you wore your best clothes out in public most of the time because you were aspiring to be respected. And that was a demonstration of wealth, which meant something different than it does today. It was, you know, demonstrating your wealth was critical to your social position. So you had you had money for gloves. You wore gloves in the summertime. You did it all the damn time. Well, and, I mean, Italian cultures historically were were proud people. Yeah, um as, as others are. Other we're not like we don't have the corner. We didn't corner the market. I'm I'm being proud. But there's yeah, a very it, specific flavor to that pride, though. Yes. Well, absolutely, and it was generally uh, a legitimate set, sort of. Uh, source of pride you know they absolutely they, they they could back up whatever their pride was whatever whatever it was that they did um right i were, mean it's a merit-based it's a merit-based system especially like yeah, merit-based the, there you go the yeah. end of the medieval times was 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 humanism was coming out so like you didn't have to stay if you were born a dirt farmer you didn't have to stay a dirt farmer necessarily if you were smart you could find a skill and leverage it and move up in the world maybe join a guild and make shoes. That's, you know, my seventh great grandfather. That's how we got out of the black forest. You know, he was just a hillbilly living in at the foot of the Alps. And then they started making shoes and then they made their way into a shoemaking guild. And then they got enough money and they moved up further and they got more money. And 
that's a real thing. And lifting yourself up like that is something you should be proud of. And if you demonstrate that by dressing a certain way, then that's okay. Um, I think people should be proud of the things they accomplish in this life. And there's never anything wrong with that. If you, you know, one of my coaches once joked to people like, oh man, you've got like the best right cross I've ever seen. And he's like, spent 35 years throwing this right cross. It yeah. should be good. Yeah. <laughs> it should be good by now. If it wasn't good by now, what have I been doing for 35 years? And yeah. it's true. The guy had the best right cross I've seen in my entire life. Knock out a horse with that shot. But, I mean, I'm exaggerating there. But, I mean, he was, it was a hell of a right cross. And, you know, you, let, you bootstrap your way up in the world, you should be proud. You're preserving catch wrestling because there's not a lot of guys around doing it anymore, right? Right. And that lineage lives inside you. And, you know, I know you've got some video out there, you know. I'm going to try and talk my boss into getting you to write a book or writing one for you, writing one with you, ghostwriting it or something, just to get it out there in the world because, you know, you've done so much work. You don't want that to – it'd be sad if that left the world. Um, we, You know, it's I've been looking for a protege for basically the last 16 years. I haven't found one yet. I want to, though, because – Yeah, I know 44. what you mean there. Nobody, I've said this before on podcasts, I mean, this is not a jar, it's just the truth. No one that I've trained knows everything I know. They No. No, they don't, because most of them, especially 20 years ago or whatever, 30 years ago now, shit, in the 90s, everybody just wanted to learn the grappling, and I'm so much more than that. And then it got even watered down from there, because then it was like, well, these moves are too severe, we, we got to slow it down for the tournaments. So it got watered down. I want to touch back a little bit on, instead yeah. of talking about me, I want to get back to Italy here. Yeah. And yeah. one of the things about Italians or the or the country Italy, or not, you know, the region of Italy, I should say, because it hasn't been a country all that long, no. um, is that uh, there was a lot of craftsmen, a lot of artistic stuff. You know, you think of Michelangelo and Da Vinci and, you know, Galileo, scientists and, you know, the, the beautiful architecture and the music and the food. And these are artisans, these are craftsmen, okay, um, skills that uh, some cultures, uh, you know, their skill set may have been something different, right? So there was always that sense of you had tangible pride, okay, is what I'm trying to get at, um, where you could see or hear the beauty. So not only was it something worthwhile as far as like building a house, it was a beautiful house. Or, you know, or the painting was in that house, and it's it's a beautiful painting that brought you years of 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 pleasure. So well, yeah. you know that's and that's the modern world is is losing that idea. You know, Italy got real rich in the thirteen hundreds. Um well they started getting rich in the eleven hundreds, but they got real rich by the thirteen hundreds. They they probably controlled a third of Europe's wealth at the time. And they were fighting little wars to see who could control the most of that in, internally to the region. But then what do you do with that money? If you, you have all this money, you have all this power, but who gives a crap if, you know, it's going to go away when you die? So a lot of these guys, when they, they would amass this, this power and this money, they'd be like, okay, well, I'm going to change the world. I'm going to find the best artist around, and I'm just going to pay the guy 
to do art. I'm going to find a musician. I'm just going to pay him to do music. And I'm going to open it up to my city so that the people who live in my city like living here and it's worth living here. And they can find some pride in being here because this place is beautiful and good. And they can take pride in knowing that there's good artists who live here. And, you know, when I talk about wearing the clothes, like you take pride in knowing that the guy in your city who makes shoes is the best shoemaker in 200 miles. Yeah. And your shoes are going to last 10 years because they're freaking good. And why is that guy living in your city? Because the guy who runs your city makes sure that the taxes are low and that there is money in the coffers. The streets are paved and the, the water's turned on. And that was the pride. And that in today's world, you know, it's, it's very short lived. You know, I, I take a lot of pride in being, you know, uh, some of my students hire me for private lessons because you know, we, we teach classes, but then they're like, oh, I want to mm -hmm. know a little more. I want to refine it. And sometimes I'll be working with a guy and I'll, I'll say something about how the swords interact, some, some little twist or turn of fencing. And they're like, dude, like the, the other coach never said that. I'm like, oh, I mean, this is just an assumed thing. Like, this is just some little thing that like, they're like, no, like it never occurred to me. I'm like, Oh, oh yeah, that's right. Like I learned that about five years in and like, I just kind of do it automatically now. I forgot that's a thing you had to learn. So let's double back and like get that skill. Like we talked about timing earlier, like at this point, I would probably say, you know, to, to quote the old uh, movie, like you probably got Cracker Jack timing. Like a guy moves, you probably don't have to think about where to go. Right. You, oh, just, yeah, you right. just know how to catch the years, moment. Yeah. And, and human intuition that people develop over the course of 5, 10, 20 years, it shows. And that's why the old gray hair guys who've been training since they were kids are just freaking good. You know, my, why was Michael Jordan so good at basketball? The guy just trained all the time. He never stopped. And, like, was he born good? He was born with a damn good body. Absolutely. But it was the lifetime of super dedicated practice that took a guy who was born good to become absolutely amazing. Right. And it's like that with any skill, you know, you get a guy who makes shoes, you know, I bet you and I could go and sell a pair of shoes. They wouldn't be great, but we could probably yeah. figure it out. Um, but then there's that guy who makes them his whole life. Like I think about my great grandpa who made shoes and it's like, Made shoes for freaking 60 years. And they were damn good shoes, you know? And that's how I started. That was my great great grandma. My great grandpa made stoves. But mm. that guy could weld. That guy could weld like nobody's business. He could put together a pot belly stove like 10 a day all by himself. Now we don't use those anymore, but the guy was good at it, right? My, uh, my grandfather's twin brother was a baker. Spent his whole life in St. Louis making bread. Hmm. And by the end of it, he could do it in his sleep. That's how you get good. You do it. Yeah, you develop right. your intuition. You learn little things, minutia that people who don't go deep never learn. And that's what you need in a protege. That's why I always like, if anybody's watching this podcast, they want to come learn sword fighting. I'm like, 
look, I'll teach you super cheap if you just come and train for 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> just come and come and work out all the time, and I'll get you real good. But I need you to take up the torch when I'm too old to hold it anymore. Well, you know, I I was I've been around some of the world's best musicians, right? I know so, you have. Yeah, and I mean, and I'm nowhere near. I mean, you can't don't even mention my name around them because you know it's like that. It's ridiculous. They're they're leaps and bounds, so much superior, and they they all have that. But the thing is, when you get good at something, you know, like they appreciated my abilities, you know, with the athletics, you know, the fighting, um, because we it's all the same you, you that the, the dedication the that you know that you got to put in x amount of hours per day per week per month and you know that this is a lifestyle this is not something that hey i'm going to do this for six months no you're going to do this for the rest of your life until you're dead um and so when i see these guys and 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 and, and then i started this is when i was like early 20s then i started looking at people that had absolutely nothing to do with what I was interested in, right? Just shit that I did not care about. And, but they were experts at what they did and they had the same traits, you know, of the dedication, the hard work, the burning desire to get great. Um, So there's that commonality and you're right about the protege. That's what you're looking for. You're looking for somebody that has these traits that may be undeveloped, but they're there. Right. And and if, if they got those traits, they're going to succeed. Hopefully they'll succeed in sword fighting. If if that's just if, if that's what they want, I'm here something. for it. Yep. Yeah. I mean, good. I, we want we I I don't want what we do to fade from the world. Like I've, you know, one of the reasons I want to bring you out here is to expose you to a bunch of different people, expose you to my network of martial arts people, yeah. and you know maybe one of those guys like I'm gonna learn and get better at what I do. And maybe one of those guys will wander off and, and go into the weeds with you and get good at catch, your catch, and, and learn. Yeah, I wish. Take this well, stuff. Well, we're definitely coming out. I'll come out. Joe will be there. You know, um, who knows? We, we may yeah, we'll, we'll set something up for, the, for later in the summer or the fall. Yeah, for, sure. for sure. Um, but that's the, that's always what we're looking for. When well, I, when why I, don't you tell everybody where you're actually located? So we're we're on the north side of the city. We're at uh, 4437 Ravenswood Avenue to plug the address. So we're like yeah. Montrose and Ashland, basically. I'm right by the Brown Line stop. And we've been here for 12 years now. We just we just opened an archery range. The other side of the wall that you can't see on camera, there's an archery range we just opened up. Sweet. And, uh, yeah. What, what are your we're, hours? The, what are your days? What, you know? So we're open. Uh, our regular classes are Monday and Wednesday, or Tuesday and Thursday, depending on what your favorite kind of sword is. Archery is Monday. Well, open range is like Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Wednesday, and Saturday. The classes are Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Saturday mornings. Um, so if you know nothing about it, you can come in and there's a guy. We rent. We rent the equipment. The guy will teach you stuff. He's really good. I think he took fourth in the Midwestern regionals this year for bare bow shooting, hmm. which is like a hunting bow, basically. It doesn't okay. have all the weird sticks and sights and weights and stuff on it. It's just a bow. And then there's the Olympic shooting. Those guys have all the doodads all over their bow and arrow, and it looks like some kind of high-tech craziness. Yeah, those look weird. I don't like them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're welcome to shoot one here, but our guy doesn't teach that. Um because he's just like, no, it's a bow and arrow. It's it's a curved stick and a straight stick and a string. And you're going to learn it the old-fashioned way. 
Um, but he's real good. And certainly our sword fighting, like we, one of our kids just took um, second in a tournament down in uh, Texas, not Texas, Georgia a few weeks ago. Uh, we had some people make it to the finals in uh, Icebreaker last week. We're going to the uh, Ars Gladii Open, which is a tournament in Detroit next week. We host one every January. Um, so people can get good if they want to do competitive sword fighting here. Um, certainly, like, our tournament team goes around and everybody in the Midwest knows who they are. They're not a bunch of scrubs who just get their butt kicked everywhere they go. Cool. Um, I did want to make a couple of serious comments before, and then I'm going to switch gears to something yeah. else. But um, just thinking back, because um, uh, two things that are very important to me, um, a, and, and they all kind of fall on the same thing, is kind of preserving that cultural legacy. I mean, the reason why I do this podcast, I mean, it's definitely not to hang with Tony, but it's to preserve <laughs> It's to preserve that knowledge because that is part of our cultural heritage um, and it's valuable. It and, um, you know, the, Tony's point about saying, well, you know, I've had a lot of good students at varying levels. You know, we've had some great guys come in, but no one's been my protege to carry this on. And that's scary that that that, you know, even though I said lots of your knowledge is out there with videos and things like that. But no one has the whole system down there. I mean, really, there should be multiple people who have that so they can pass it down because one person could get hit by a bus. You know, so in an ideal circumstance, you'd want a cadre of people to say this is going to take it to the next generation. And so getting the word out there, obviously, is something that's very important to me. And then you, along those lines, uh, you mentioned a book. And I think it's funny that you mentioned that because that crossed my mind in our previous conversation. You talked about how there was only like three remaining copies you know, from the Middle Ages, from the, the from uh, granted, printing press technology and all that stuff wasn't, you know, they're hand copying things. No, Fiori um, predates that. Yeah, so, but the idea to me that, like, most of your information, Tony, is out there, it's digital, so there's, you know, whether it's, well, even if you're going back to VHS tapes or whatever that your stuff started on, that requires a certain kind of technology that theoretically could disappear. I mean, I, yeah. But more so, most of what, a lot of what I know is not digitized. There, as you know, when you go to these workshops, I show things that I've never put on video. Um, and that that's the thing, you know, that's the, that's the stuff that no one will ever get. If I drop dead today, no one's going to know this. Because like, like Jesse was saying earlier about like some gaps uh, in in the knowledge because of the books and not everything like they don't remember th this word these th this language is archaic um they don't have the rosetta stone there's a lot of what i teach nobody nobody can fill in the blanks because they don't right. know and it's not their fault it's i didn't put it out on video because there's reasons number one it's not well there's a there's a, there's a finite limit there's a finite there's a limit, limit to what you can put in a book or video and, and, or even on video but right but the people have and this isn't just directed strictly like i'm the only one um because of digital piracy they they've ruined it for themselves because many artists not just martial artists but artists writers musicians they don't want to do this anymore because they're they're getting ripped off you know they, oh, they yeah. lose money and it's hard it's hard right it's it's ter i'm fighting with a company now that owes me money that's selling my products that they're, they're not supposed to. I told them, don't sell my products. They're not responding to me. Okay. To my emails, Joe's going to reach out to them. They're not responding to me, but yes, the digital piracy 
has ruined me for years financially. It just killed. Oh, it's soul dead. crushing, man. In- oh, yeah. People don't get it. You know, they think they're retarded. So that's part of it. But also, there's, you know, people want to be oohed and odd. And the most important things that, that you can learn are not the ooh and ah, okay? Uh, it's it's the principles. It's the little moves um, that set up everything. It's the strategies. It's this and that, like you would do in your fencing and your grappling instruction. And some people don't want that. They just want to be – that. you could tell because on YouTube or something, people are always coming up with these new moves. There are no new moves. Those moves will not work against somebody skilled simply because they're masters of their body. There's just – Show setup, show something yeah, innovative that can work repeatedly. I talk about the laboratory when I'm here training people. And uh, to that last point, like I get guys all the time. They'll be like, well, what if I did this? And I'm like, son, we're in the lab right now. We've created a very specific set of conditions so that you can practice something very specific. But I'm going to tell you right now, I see what you're asking me. And if you would like to just try that on me in a match, you go right ahead and you're not going to like what happens. Um, Because, you know, when you're, when you're training, it's very easy to, you know what the other guy is going to do. You're building predictable situations. Yeah. And it's very easy to get comfortable with that predictability and imagine that, this thing that you can do against this very predictable subject could work at any time and any place. But very often that's bullshit and you don't want to fall into the the trap of your own bullshit. Um, And so if ever I have those thoughts, I'll, I'll, I'll wait a week or two. I'll get a different guy and I'll be like, all right, man, we're going to wrestle this out. I'm going to try some shit. Feel free to we're, we're sparring. So just feel free to tune me up if you get the opportunity, okay? I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to try to pull off. You just, if it comes up, I'll try it. If it doesn't come up, not your fault. And if it comes up and you jack me in the face, then I'm back to the drawing board. Um, But the laboratory doesn't have any pressure. You know, even sparring only has a limited amount of pressure. To It only can test to a degree um because the situation if somebody's got a knife in front of you if somebody's here to knock your teeth out all of them you know if they want to take a brick to you there's a lot of different pressure there and different things are going to happen and you're you gotta that's that's you can't account for that in the laboratory you know nor should you because no you know what if this till you're blue in the face i mean same like languages yeah i i remember this is kind of funny, but when I was younger, I used to be kind of, you know, I'll be honest with you, I was popular, and a lot of guys kind of wanted to hang out with me because, you know, oh, you know, girls, right, Tony? So they would ask me, well, what do you, what, what do you say, what do you say to a woman? Well, I don't, I never had anything prearranged. It was just, you know, whatever. Well, what if they say this, or what if they do that? It's one of those deals, dude. Just go with. There's the no magic word. Have, no, right? no, but but at least with the human language. You 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 develop a vocabulary. You should be able to think on your feet. Right. With with techniques, you're limited. There's only a limited amount of techniques. And the thing is, many people can't think on their feet with those techniques. They're used to doing them rote. Okay. Right. If he moves this way, I move that way. You, that, no. you got to break out of that. That ain't fighting. That is not right, fighting. Right. Exactly right. 
And it's very easy to fall into that trap. And like, you know, in my case, like we have, I have to train people up from like the very beginner. Like they've never even played a sport. They didn't play baseball growing up. This is the first activity they've done and they're 25 and they're, they're about as strong as a boiled potato. (laughs) And I've got to build these people up from no background to something as far as they want to take it. And I, as I've said, like, if people show me passion, I don't care where they start. If they're willing to train and practice and work, I'll take them from potato to steel bar. I'll build their fitness. I'll teach them to fight. I don't care. I'll give, I'll give them everything I've got. Um, and there's some people are just here more casually and that's totally okay. Like we live in a modern world where people want to exercise and get their entertainment in one place. And if they're here to casually do this, that's great. That's fine. That's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. And for those people who are more casual, they'll be like, oh, how am I doing? I'm like, you know, for a guy who's casually invested, you're doing really well. Or maybe I'll say, if it's not true, I won't say it. But, you know, I have no problem with saying, like, you're casually invested and you're doing well for how much time you're putting in. That's a good assessment. Yeah. And if that's all, it's it's an honest assessment, but not a cruel one. Because I'm not here to be cruel. I'm here to keep the doors open. And I'm here to have to keep my art alive and I'm here to love what I do. I love I love the lifestyle I get to live. It's is it a lavish? No. Do I have money? Not really. But um but it is it is fun and honest and we and we do get to work with people. But for the folks who are like, oh Jesse, what technique would have fixed my sparring? I'm like No, what would have fixed your sparring was having better footwork. What would have fixed your sparring was was learning to catch timing. Was being would have been being more observant. Like keep it simple. Fights fights don't get won with fancy shit. They get won with two parries and one thrust, and that's it. Like a friend of mine in Germany uh, years ago, um, he doesn't like the tournament scene. He's he's a just a scrappy fight guy, but he likes to do swords. He's from the old days where people just used to go around and just pick sword fights to see if, if you were any good. So somebody told him, oh, well, you suck because your students don't go to these tournaments. And he's like, okay, I'm going to train up a guy. I'll send him next year. Pulls a kid off the street and, hey, you want to learn sword fighting? I'll teach you for free for a year as long as you go to this tournament. Teaches the kid three three mechanics, not even technique, just Timing, how to parry, how to how to thrust, nothing special. Kid goes out, gets third place, his first time out. <laughs> and they're like, oh, you must be some savant. He's like, nah, I just did what the boss said. Yeah. I just did this thing. Turns out it works pretty good. And I just, he had good sense of timing. That's all they worked for that year was just getting an understanding of timing so that he could deliver the one thing he knew how to do. And it worked out great. Turns out having one punch that works real good is better than having a thousand punches. Having one or two lockups that work real good is better than having a thousand lockups. Because you're not going to do a thousand lockups in an actual fight. You're going to do one. And if it works, great. If it doesn't work, you're pulling something out of your butt to get this fight over right now. You ain't got time to show this guy a thousand things. He's going to try to hurt you. <laughs> right? Yeah. And that's the secret to it. 
when it comes to the books and videos, like that stuff doesn't hold all the nuanced data. I've seen people try and you end up with like a 20 video, 20 hours of video. It's still incomplete. When the old masters wrote these books, there's uh, 1530, Achille Morozzo writes his opera Nova. And he's actually his son who published it. It was just 20 years of notes that his son organized into a book. It's a dad, you got to make money, publish this book. And uh, it very clearly states that this is not complete. And that if you really want to understand what's in this book, you got to go train with a guy who knows what he's doing. Yeah. Because there's more to doing this than can ever be written down. And there's more to learning than, than a book's ever going to give you. As videos are great, but really they're just fancy books at the end of the day. They show you the same thing over and over. You know, you can rewind it as many times as you want, but only what's there is what's there. There's no more, there's no less. You can do 20 different videos. That's a big book, but... Like I said earlier, I'm sure there's times when you're showing somebody how to do something and there's something that you've taken for granted for 30 years that you're like, oh, yeah, that, yeah. And, but that guy's new and doesn't know it. And that's not something that would necessarily even make it into a book. Right. Positioning or weight distribution, things like that you don't, yeah. It's, it's exactly. so easy. And those things are so broad that even if you do talk about it in a book, you could write a whole book about it. Yeah. And it probably wouldn't be complete. It would just be better than a less complete book. So at the end of the day, these kinds of sports that we do, these kinds of fighting that we do, these traditions, one, in my mind, catch wrestling is part of the European martial arts, was well, part of the Western world. And to me, it's America's true martial art. It's, the, it's, it's what comes out of American fighting. Yep. And we didn't have to, you know, people talk about MMA and like, oh, well, Thai kickboxing is the best boxing. So that's why we made it MMA. It's like a guy was able to sell that style of boxing really well. So it made a lot of money. Is it the absolute best? I don't know. Is it pretty good? Certainly, I like watching it on TV, and certainly those guys are very, very good at what they do. But when you're watching a guy in a gladiator pit, you want to see what the guy did, right? If you're a spectator, you want to see. And, and suddenly, if you're a guy who's making money off the spectators, you want a boxer where the crowd can see those punches hit the other guy. And that might have some influence on what goes into that octagon. You know, what can the crowd see? What can the crowd relate to? You know, BJJ 20 years ago was really good for to be watched by a crowd because those guys wanted to work one lock. You know, they get their guard, they get in their position, and they start working something. They might change their mind after a moment, but they would work pretty hard for longer than I would to try on to get one tie up or one lock as where, you know, with me, if I try to lock up your arm and you get out of it, I'm going to your other arm. I'm going to your face. I'm going to your leg. I'm going to abandon all failures and attack the new opening, whatever's becoming available. 
And it's not fun to watch because I'm just move, 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 move. New target, new target, new target. I'm not waiting. I'm not going to sit here and struggle with some guy. My fitness is pretty good, but theirs might be better. I'm 44. I'm not 20 anymore. I don't want to struggle with some guy over an arm bar for five minutes till I get tired. Yeah. And, you know, you watch some of those MMA videos. You see that guy in Brazil a couple of years ago ate a knife in the balls when he tried that. He's working his arm bar. This guy just fishes a knife out of his pocket, left-handed, and stabs him in the dick three times. Well, great arm bar, bro. Subject for another movie, yeah, well, yeah. Uh, for another episode, yeah, because grappling in a street scenario is not the smartest thing to do. But uh, yeah, no, you're you're right. It's enter- bottom line is those things they're, they're entertainment, um, you know, and not only what's in the ring, uh, but what what is your personality personality like? All of it, right? It's entertainment first and foremost. Okay, if nobody's watching, the business is going to fold up. Right. So you got to bear that in mind. Not that the guys aren't skilled or something. No, no, no. You're right. Never. I'm never going to take away from a guy's yeah. skills. Like those guys exactly. are good. I'm not pretending they're not. I'm just yeah. thinking about how it got to look the way it looks. Yeah, it's 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 all it's showbiz, right? So uh, it, some guys got to work, right? <laughs> well, think 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 back to Muhammad Ali. You know, who kind of changed the face of boxing. You know, with his mouth, right? With his showmanship, not, I mean, in addition to his skills, but it was his, his, the Louisville lip. That's what they called him, you know, it kind of, and he, and the, 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 the the story is that, you know, he basically patterned himself off of, off of gorgeous George, the wrestler. Okay. Yeah. That pattern, that shtick. Um, You know, so it was all about, yeah, let's, let me, let me drop people in. So, uh, you know, that's what gets you paid. That's what gets you paid, you know. That's what gets and, you paid. So yeah, um, but yeah, no, for sure, you know, uh, you know, with Joe, I mean, we, I was actually at your gym years ago, just not to work out, but somebody there was an instructor there at the time that wanted to meet me or something. I don't say I'm sorry, I just don't remember names, but um, Joe okay. was with me. But you know, I, I so I, I I got the nickel tour. I don't even think there was a class going on, was there, Joe? No, I think we were kind of early in the afternoon, however we worked it out. Yeah, so it's before things were starting to kick in. Yeah, I wouldn't even remember where to how to get there, to be honest with you. But you'd you you'd know, but um because Joe, you know everything, but uh you know, uh yeah, no, this is this is awesome though. You know, we're we're getting late here now. We're gonna have to start wrapping yeah, this yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. You got any last questions for me, Joe, before we uh before we gotta wind down? Well, nothing that's short term. Like I, last, when we had our warm up talk before, I wanted to get into the forging of uh, steel implements, but we don't have time to get into that again. So I'll do that as kind of a, a teaser for possibly a future episode. Yeah, bring me back we, sometime. We could talk. I, I love. I I do make knives and swords. Um, I don't. Um, you have to pull them off my Instagram. I didn't bring any over to the club today, but. Um, but they can check you out on uh, social media, right? The stuff you Yeah, do. Jesse Kula Forges uh, with underscores between Jesse and Kula there. And I'll, I'll pop you a link right now. You can post it up later on. I'll put it in the chat. But, How are you uh, with hundreds? Huh? How are you with hundreds? You're, if you're a forger, I mean, can you work with $100 bills? <laughs> I could use some you help with that. You don't want me trying to draw you up money, man, unless it's, <laughs> unless it's like I can make you counterfeit gold coin from the old days. <laughs> Modern money, man. That's that's outside of my skill set. Oh shit. 
Well, no, for sure. We want to have you back on soon. You know, we, we can, uh, we can work, (coughs) excuse me. We can work something out soon because, uh, uh, it'd be great to have you on to continue this. Yeah. I would love to do it. And I'll talk knives all night. I've, I've, I'm an, I'm a, mildly obsessed with that stuff it's well uh, let's let's do that let's set that subject matter as knives okay we'll do it joe do you have any closing thoughts no i was just really excited to have you guys to uh meet again and talk i think you have a a very uh uh birds of a feather kind of approach uh, like-mindedness i guess as far as um you know, the purpose of your art and the martial side of it and, and keeping the street thing front and center, you know, regardless of what your tradition is. And so I think, you know, uh, I kind of knew you guys would hit it off and uh, always interesting to talk. And I like, like I said, I've really enjoyed getting to know Jesse, you know, I've obviously seen him, but never had the time to really talk. So this was very cool. Well, it's great well, for me. Yeah. I love you guys are fun. I, I really do feel like we get along well, and I just look forward oh. to getting some training in, in the future. That'll work. Well, everybody, we will see. We'll talk next week about the upcoming seminars for May. Um, I, uh, yeah, because we're yeah, we'll do that next week. There will be the two seminars in May. We'll give you the dates. Uh, well, we're not really not seminars or workshops, but I, you know. But anyway, everybody, thanks for watching and listening, and we'll see you next week. <laughs> Thank you.